Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. It's an honor to be here. Happy Tuesday to you and yours. Happy day after Monday. Happy day before Wednesday. Uh, Listen, when I say I have a jam-packed, action-packed, awesome show, I'm really talking about Tuesday, April the 12th. I had to check the date. Tuesday, April the 12th. We are jam-packed. Elijah Schaefer, you guys know him from Blaze TV. You guys know him from Slightly Offensive, and you are here. Elijah Schaefer is actually here in studio with me. We're going to get to him in just a few short seconds. Uh, Royce White uh, is going to be on the show. Uh, Delano Squires, my regular contributors. Jack Posobiec, he's going to be here uh, and talking t- and talking with us. Steve Kim, Shamika Michelle, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, I'm going to umbrella all of our conversation under, you know, what we talk about every day on this show, masculinity, male fearlessness, male leadership, uh, men uh, taking responsibility uh, for this country and what's going wrong in this country. And that's why I'm starting with Elijah Schaefer, because uh, I've never met Elijah until today, but I have followed his work. Uh, What Elijah does is some of the most courageous, masculine, needed, fearless journalism uh, going on in America. He, on the front lines at BLM and Antifa riots and protests uh, at January the 6th, reporting things that the government uh, does not want reported and said, uh, this man embodies the fearless mantra, the fearless mentality. Uh, He promotes the kind of energy and exhibits the kind of energy that it's gonna take to fix this country and bring it back to its natural, rightful order. Uh, Elijah Schaefer, thank you so much uh, for stopping by. Well, that's an honorable uh, introduction from the legendary Jason Whitlock on, <laughs> coincidentally, the, the Jason Whitlock show, The Fearless, right? This is such an amazing show, and I, I am so happy to be out here, man. I am, I'm so excited because not only to meet you in person with, with your own incredible history, but honestly, to, to hear your wisdom and to, to be on this show that I actually listen to and I learn a lot from, I just got to say thank you. Well, thank you for being here, and I, you know, I wish I had your youth because I'd love to be out on the front lines with you. Uh, but now I'm too old and too fat. I've always been a little fat, but uh, now I'm too old, or I'm really not, because again, it's, 32 isn't that old. It's, You're doing all right. <laughs> I was like, 32 is it? <laughs> you know, pretty good. If I was in Ukraine, I would be eligible to be on the front lines of the war because I'm not 60. Uh, oh, I man. think any man from 18 to 60, but. Elijah, just for my edification, the edification of this audience, walk me through a little bit of your background. Like, where did you come from? 
Why did you choose this particular path? Did you go to a journalism school and dream of being, uh, you know, some great journalist? Give me a little bit of the Elijah Schaefer backstory. So I would say this is exactly opposite of anything that I thought that I would be doing in my life, which happens to be the case when you're a man and you end up hitting a uh, glass ceiling in your life and you realize the only one keeping you from breaking through is yourself. Uh, I think LA is not even like a glass ceiling, it's a um, prison of pedophiles and, <laughs> and girly men and some of the sickest and most perverted people out there and corruption and I grew up in the midst of it. I'm from LA, I'm an LA kid, you know? I mean, I, I grew up right there in the heartland and uh, good weather, bad people and extremely terrible traffic, but at the same time, you know, it's been a, it's a very diverse area, religiously, culturally, uh, ethnically, and uh, to be quite frank, I mean, I was a little bit of a um, scene kid. I was emo. I had two-toned hair, nose piercings, spacers in my ear. Uh, absolutely uh, opposite of the person you're seeing here today up until like maybe three, four years ago. What happened? Well, I mean, this is actually serious. I mean, I, I was a agnostic, borderline atheist for most of my life. I found no meaning or purpose. Um, you know, I was a man of science. I was like natural libre. I believe in science. And I just faced the world, went to school in, in first in biomedical engineering and then in, in molecular biology, genetic engineering, um, which, by the way, I'm not autistic, but a lot of people in that field are. They're not very talkative. A lot of Asians. And I mean, if you see me now, I'm not exactly the, the guy to fit in. And, you know, I studied. I worked hard. I, I worked in research in stem cell technology, um, worked in, in uh, limb regeneration therapy, et cetera, performed a lot of surgeries on animals and you know it just it was interesting and I was uh, in grad school and I ended up working on side by side at the teaching credential teaching science to high school to high schoolers and I was in this training program and they sort of began selecting people in the groups based off of your oppression or oppressed group uh, in LA it's the first I had been exposed to this what year is this this is back in like 2017. Gotcha. So 2017, we're out there, um, and might I remind you, I I'm standing there, and I had just had a professor who blacklisted me from uh, the entire industry, which is why I went to, to pursue something differently. He told me my race was declining. He's part of La Raza. He uh, came out you know, swinging, talking about how Trump people were Nazis. We remember 2017, very, very well 2016. <laughs> and um, you know, he just decided, he told me he was gonna block me from getting a job. So I, I, for, I forged my own way. I sat in a room in the corner by myself. They said straight white men to go in the corner, of course, being a California program, education program, I was the only one there. You know, everybody's got some special identifier. I condemned the group. I got on NPR. I brought up, you know, before cultural Marxism was really being talked about on the mainstream, really condemned it on an LA radio station and came to, to, to debate somebody. It was so well received that I just decided from, from some suggestions from Ben Shapiro and some others who said, if you can start a show, if you can do something to get your voice out, we need more of you. And I just went out and said, you know what? I'm going to start a podcast. Everybody laughed at me. Everyone thought I was stupid. Why would some guy with a engineering degree in, in genetics and you know creating uh, unironically some of the same vaccine technology that we're using today and working in immunology and those types of things what is he going to do to change right-wing politics and that's really how I, I just jumped in you know head first and created a podcast and a show to talk about my thoughts wow and so you're a like you said you're kind of different from the profile of people that were in your field because you, you seem very extroverted talkative you got a little comedic 
aspect to you as well. Oh, retardation. <laughs> I definitely have that, and I, I definitely recognize that. Uh, and so was the success instantaneous? Did you immediately pick up an audience, or, or did you have to, I mean, because again, you have no skill. All you bring in is passion. And you're a smart person, passion and intellect, but you got you, no training in being a broadcaster, being a journalist of any kind. How did those things develop in terms of, no, I want to go where the action is? Well, what happened was, uh, you know, starting a podcast, obviously, in the studio, it, it, I've lost, I lost everybody, man. I lost my friends. I, my church uh, totally abandoned me on this one. Uh, my, own, my own mother, who's now deceased, she was very against everything I was doing. And it was, it was really hard um, to go from being someone that, you know, people praised because, you know, you're going on a, a very safe and projected career path. You know, you get to be the white coat. I, before 20, before the pandemic, scientists, I would say, were a little more respected. Than, yeah. Their expert meant something back then. So, uh, and that's only a few years ago. And to use back then, things are changing so rapidly. It's true. Back then, right? 2017, 2018. So to go from making your parents proud, people proud, kind of being in this prestigious you know, path forward, to say that you wanted a podcast when people don't really even know what podcasting was, sounds f like foolishness. And... You know, I, I created my second episode and the police showed up at my office to arrest me uh, due to my threat to uh, shoot up a local school. Um, there was a local school, I'm not going to say where, in Los Angeles, um, that they had valid threats that I had called in and someone said that I was going to kill high school students in a mass shooting. It was news to me because... I mean, the only thing high school students are killing themselves with is their own decisions today, right? <laughs> TikTok and drugs and whatnot. And so I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, a, I'm not killing anyone. Well, it turned out that the, the podcast was so blunt, and I called it slightly offensive, that essentially people got wind of it, leftist activists in L.A. got wind of it very quickly and called in a fake mass shooting threat to a local high school uh, in my name. And the, I had to go to the police station and everything. And, and it was serious. It was actually serious. I, they had to go to the school and I had to be put on temporary hold from filming. And I think that's what activated me to go, wait a second, we're barely getting a few hundred views on a show and we're already getting targeted. That was serious too. It was the first legal battle ever. And I was just looking at, I was actually just looking at, at Facebook posts from four years ago, just a couple days, like April 8th, a couple years ago, it's almost the anniversary, it's about, about a few weeks ago, me saying, hey guys, we've been completely shut down because of what was going on and people calling fake death threats and here we are. And I knew with adversity, I go, okay, we have something, we have something. I'm like, this, we could go somewhere, but here's how God used it. I ended up getting shut out of my studio because it was considered a security threat. The police showed up. I ended up getting you know, barred. I couldn't film anywhere because of what was going on. So I uh, was encouraged uh, by a fellow friend of mine named Fleckas, who runs a channel called Fleckas Talks. We're good friends. Essential and Fleckas? Or just Fleckas Talks. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe I think that's his show now. Uh, yeah. But he, he, he uh, a big dude, like a former football player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Division one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a homie. And uh, he said, well, why don't you go out in the streets, take your podcast out on the road, and uh, go interview people? Interviewed people, I'm gonna tell you, this is so funny. We, we think this is common now. I interviewed a girl at Whittier College where Nixon went, and she started explaining to me that she was trans non-binary, which doesn't make any sense. How do you transition if there's no binary? Like, I mean, you go from what? You're going from nothing to nothing, from dust to dust? I think you are, I think we know where you're headed. And uh, that went viral, I don't know what happened. It just got you know hundreds of thousands of views. Third show we ever made, God used the adversity of something, and I realized, I go, you know, damn, I go, this is very, 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 
exciting, this is exhilarating, and I watched as people were questioning, who knew, what is this, trans non-binary, what's going on? And there was this fascination from the left, from the right, from the center, articles being written of like, what the hell's going on on our college campuses? What's going on in our world? And that's what, I bit, I bit the hook, and I went, there are not enough people just talking to people and trying to get real stories. Everyone's got a mission or a network or somebody telling them where to go, what to say, what to discover, and I'm like, the, the curiosity of a man doth have no end. And so I decided from that time on that my main priority was gonna be just telling the stories that people weren't. What you realize without a lot of background and knowledge is, you know, for me, you know, I graduated college in 1990, been doing this for a long time. Social media is one of the worst things to happen to journalism because everybody sits <laughs> at a desk, at home, over their laptop, and thinks they're engaging with real people and their real thoughts, and you figured out, no, no, let me actually go get face-to-face -face with people, let me go to these events and actually cover it, rather than rely on what someone DM'd me or what they tweeted out. And so, I mean, it's like, you know, to make a drug analogy, you're getting the information straight off the boat, straight, <laughs> straight from the f cotton fields or where, wherever they made the, the cocaine fields or whatever. You're getting it straight, the crack, straight dope. The crack, <laughs> the crack gutters. Yeah. You know? And that is what has fascinated and impressed me about you. And so I want to ask, of, of all the different events you've covered, what has felt the most dangerous to you or where you were, were a little like, man, am I, should I be doing this? <laughs> this <laughs> I've, okay, I have been way in over my head. I've been running on a combination of the Holy Spirit, caffeine, and, and natural stupidity <laughs> because I, I am not, I am not going to lie. I feel like all of America in saying, I think we all don't, didn't know what was going on the last few years. I think most of us still don't know. We're catching up. But I'll tell you this, I would rather be at the front lines not knowing what's going on so I can find out first than have to go through a daisy chain of people trying to find out what he said, what she said. And that gives me the perspective that I just go, you know what, I'm gonna put myself wherever the story is. And I always had this phrase, you gotta get shot to get the shot. And I don't mean with bullets, but definitely with rubber bullets. I mean, the amount of injuries that I've, that I've gone through, broken bones, and just, you know, I've had a lot of surgeries, nerve damage, reconstructive surgeries, lung damage. It, it's been a very expensive battle and fight, very painful, a lot of, a lot of things. I don't think there's any time that's been more um, dangerous then, I mean, for one, we rioted for like 100 days in, in Portland and sieged a federal building and that being blinded and shot and leg broken and attacked and detained. I mean, that was a really in intense time. Uh, but I'd say it would be a combination of, of two specific factors. Number one, real danger would probably be the night of Kenosha with, uh, with Rittenhouse only because not only was I next to him when he, when he shot Rosenbaum, blew out his, uh, I believe his spleen, his liver, so that was pretty crazy to witness uh, an eyewitness account. But also nobody talks about the amount of uh, dozens of shell casings that were found in the area and the amount of drive-bys and shootings that occurred where I'm just on the ground hearing bullets ricocheting. Just, you can see the light tracing on the FBI too of just the bullets flying. And when you're hearing hit cars, like a bullet hit a car above you and just, you just go, I didn't sign up for this, <laughs> you know? I just wanted to make a podcast. <laughs> I'm going back to the studio. That is amazing that you're, you're, and so clearly you've already referenced it several times, your faith, a relationship with God is critical, a pursuit of the truth, 
obviously, which is attached to your love of God. Uh, but are, is that the only motivating factor? Because I'm wondering about love of country. And, and I ask that because I'm thinking of the UFC fighter, uh, and for, his name is escaping me, but he, a couple of, a month ago, excuse me? Colby Covington. Colby Covington, he's from Arkansas, correct? Yeah, he talked about if something happens to his state, basically Arkansas, he would step up and defend it. And, and no one talked about this, but it struck, when he said that it hit home to me because I'm so confused about what America is at this point and what direction we are that when, when I heard the Covington kids say that, it's like, I think he's got the same confusion. It's like, he knows what Arkansas is and he's willing to defend Arkansas. But I think it was almost intentional he left off the United States of America because I'm just, I'm confused. Like, what are we? And so I'm wondering for you, is it just your faith in God, your pursuit of truth, or is it also this patriotic duty to try to save this country? Well, I would say, you know, according to a really amazing commentator of, uh, he's the host of the show at Heck Off Comedy, his name's John Doyle. He likes to say today that America is a theme park, you know, and it's a little bit of just a, a, a giant uh, explorative place and where people just choose what rides they want to go on. They're living for their own pleasure and over consuming. And I have to say that, you know, I agree with that analysis now, but I know that we were not always that. And, and I, people don't always see a, a very serious side of me. Uh, because naturally I, I make light of pain with a little bit of humor. I think men do that, you know, we, I like, we'll literally, it's like that, you'll literally go out to the front lines and risk getting your head shot off rather than deal with the trauma in your life, you know, actually deal with the pain. I think we're going through a collective pain as a nation. And my family, we've been here since before the revolution. We're part of the sons and the daughters of the revolution. We've been here before we were a nation. I have family that fought on both sides of the Civil War for, you know, for both the Confederate and, and of course, the Union. I mean, I have family members who were scalped in Indiana by Sioux Tribe and, and fought in different wars. I mean, I, I, we have a deep, deep history here. And my mom, um, you know, may she rest in peace, she, she always instilled, I was homeschooled, she instilled with me such a fervor for this nation. She always told me, in this nation, God founded this place. And in this nation, God can, can rescue this place. He can redeem this. And even if the place can't finally be redeemed, at least the people can. And so, you know, she would tell me that we've lost sight, that things have changed. And she reminds me how far we've come. She goes, you know, you're, you're, her father, she, he's an engineer, uh, an aeronautical engineer, helped design the B-2 bomber, actually stealth technology, excellent, very intelligent guy. And uh, she was like, just to show you how quickly we've, we've, we've progressed, he remembers when they started using plastic in engineering. My grandpa, like, I mean, in his lifetime, for young people watching the show, it's in my grandpa's lifetime that engineers started working with plastic. So, I mean, we've really rapidly gone in, in both progress and also in the decline, because with plastic, think about it, things have gotten cheaper, they've gotten faster, automated, et cetera. I gotta tell you, Jason, I gotta tell you, I love this country. And, and when, when Donald Trump got up and he just said, look, there are, there's a forgotten class of people. It is not the upper class, it is not the middle class, it is not the lower class, white or black. It is the people who built and made this country that love this country and they have been forgotten, they have been pushed back because we focus on what, trans hormones in children and 
open immigration. I've been pissed off. And I call it the white rage. <laughs> Maybe they call it white rage. Maybe it's just black rage. Depends what your skin color is uh, or how you identify in the moment. But I have been so angry. And I didn't know what to do with that anger. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I got banned from wearing political shirts. I wore a shirt with Obama and a communist flag. I couldn't wear it. Right? But we could have, we could have, we could have trans liberation days. But I couldn't speak my views. I get shut down, detentions for, for speaking out. In college, I, I had teachers cry when I wore a Trump hat, uh, you know, during his, I'm going to cry, grown people crying, PhDs. The smoke screen was seen through. And I really was like, man, and this is, gen, this is a genuine heart of mine. I saw what was emerging with communist terrorists with Antifa, and I saw there wasn't a lot of people that were covering it. And I saw that a lot of people weren't because they were scared. Because there was a real and an absolute threat of violence. These people were violent. They were from the from the inauguration of Trump. They started rioting and breaking windows. And to an average person, you stay the hell away from things like that. It's like don't talk to strangers as a kid. Stay out of trouble when you're an adult. Just mind your own business. I'm done minding my own business. All right, I'm done. And you know what? If it's their business and it's and they live in my same country, it becomes mine too. And I realized, I go, these people need to be exposed. And I, and I, and I went out and, and I go, these are terrorists. This is before it was popular to say that. These are domestic terrorists. And I'm going to document carefully and methodically their acts of terrorism around the country. It's before I had funding from Blaze or anything. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to travel. I'm going to infiltrate. And I'm going to show people in the world what the hell is going on in this country. Because the news is lying. The commentators don't, aren't showing it. And there's nobody out there. And I got to say this. Since nobody else will do it, I'm gonna go do it and we'll see what happens. And boy, did I have no idea how much I would learn what it really means to form from a boy into a man during that time. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I already had a degree, moving in a good direction. I don't care what it is and what people say. I, for the last four years on the ground and confronting some of the most dangerous and radical situations in this country, I have transformed not just internally, spiritually, but also physically. Everything has changed about me. One thing I, I want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, and by the way, it's Bryce Mitchell is the UFC fighter I was thinking of, not Colby uh, Covington. Uh, but that rage, I think is, is, your mother sounds like she instilled in you an incredible gratitude for the opportunities in this country and the people that sacrifice so that you could have this American freedom that everybody else in the world wants a piece of. And so that burns in me as well. And I think it burns in a lot of people that are regulars on this show and it's part of the message we're trying to get across on this show is, is I've seen the left pervert the entire African-American journey. And, and the African-American journey in this country uh, does not condemn America. It actually shows the best of America and is actually uh, part of the reason why America became the envy of the entire world because our, our, the things that Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence uh, the Constitution being so biblically inspired, 
uh, black people made America live up to those ideas that, hold on, everybody's gotta be free, and it brought out the best in America. And so I'm so enraged, it's a different kind of rage because I don't have your youthful energy, but I'm so enraged that people have so little gratitude for the incredible sacrifice that people made to make this country great, and for someone like me to come from the ghetto, to living in one of the, if not the richest zip code in all of America, uh, when I lived out in LA and lived in uh, Westwood, uh, and, and just all the opportunities. My dad didn't graduate high school, my mother was a factory worker. It, it's, that fire burns in me, and, and I just, sometimes I look at the world and I go, what are these people thinking? And it's why I left California, and that's why I brought up the, the Bryce Mitchell thing as it relates to Arkansas. I had to flee California because I was like, well, this is a communist, ungrateful, sexually perverted part of America that I just can't deal with anymore. And, and I love it here in Tennessee. I love my home state of Indiana. I, it's hard for me to predict what direction the rest of the country is gonna go in, um, but I am committed to the fight and trying to uh, explain to people the, the same things that are motivating you and the same thing, that, and I know this irritates some people, but I keep, Trump supporters, my, I grew up around, they didn't know it, but they were basically Trump supporters. They're MAGA people, black. Factory workers, people that just, wanted to mind their own business, do a manufacturing job, push their kids ahead. That's my whole upbringing. So when I heard Trump's inauguration speech is when I was like, holy cow, this dude's talking about my family. He's talking about my mother and everybody that supported my dad's bar. And I'm looking at the media frame this dude as this out of control, racist, fascist, next Adolf Hitler. And, it, and it's a, they're really framing me and my upbringing as some sort of evil upbringing here in America. And so I, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but Elijah, I want you to stick around. I got some other people I, I wanna bring into the show. I want you to chime in. I wanna hear a bit more about your story, but I'm really honored uh, that you took the time to come to Nashville and, and be on our show. And I, I just wanna hold you up, because again, the, the conversation today on the show that we had plan that you fit in perfectly is I've been talking about Disney and the, what they're doing to the sports world and how they're feminizing the entire culture. And, and again, I just think you're such a shining example of what young men need to be, take responsibility uh, for writing this country and for making people understand what a blessing it is to be born here. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't know how much you've traveled abroad, but I would imagine you've done yeah, um, my wife's Australian. Okay, yeah, and so I just wish people had the opportunity to see how the rest of the world lives and the freedoms that they don't even know exist that we take, take for granted here in America. And, and, you know, it's like we think we have poverty here. Whew, you go, <laughs> you know. But anyway, I want to tell you guys about uh, my friends at Bullion Max. As inflation surpasses highs not seen in 40 years, the value of the dollar is decreasing with every passing day. You're paying more at the pump, the grocery store, for cars, for housing. Face it, your paper money 
is not worth what it used to be. It's worth a lot less. Friends, the timing couldn't be any better for my new sponsor, Bullion Max. Bullion Max is a direct-to-consumer precious metals retailer that can help you diversify into gold and silver. It's a hedge against inflation. It's also security for your family in times of crisis. And here's why I love Bullion Max. They're owned by veterans in the precious metal space, offer some of the lowest prices on the internet, and they make it so easy to buy directly from their website. I wanna help you get started, so I worked out a special offer with them just for you. Get Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit at employee pricing. Just go to bullionmax.com Jason. This kit includes five of the most desirable silver products, including a silver American Eagle and a silver Australian Kangaroo. This offer is limited to just one per household. So get yours right now. Go to bullionmax.com Jason now. This is not something I'm recommending. This is something I've done myself. I'm, I've used Bullion Max and will continue to use it as I try to diversify and inflation-proof uh, the wealth that I've uh, acquired. We all need to be looking at alternative routes uh, to secure ourselves and to secure our family's future. Bullion Max is a great way to go. All right, Royce White. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, Elijah, you're in for a treat. Uh, Royce White is the smartest athlete I've ever met. Uh, he's one of the smartest people I I've met. Uh, Royce uh, was a first round NBA draft pick, uh, winded up, wound up not playing in the NBA, but he's now actually running for the congressional seat of Elon Omar. Uh, and he regular contributor on this show. Uh, Royce, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, Royce is here because yesterday I did hour and 20 minutes straight of just me talking about Disney and the feminization of America and how they're using the sports world and ESPN to uh, overtake uh, the sports world and impose this emasculated culture on all of America. And so I wanted to bring Royce in to get his reaction uh, to my hour and 20 mono uh, yesterday. Royce, uh, welcome back. And uh, what are your thoughts? Am I, am I wrong for saying that Disney's trying to impose a magic queendom, as I, instead of a kingdom, <laughs> they're trying to impose a magic queendom on America? Yeah, no, not at all. I think you're spot on. And, and I've spoken before about um, this neoliberal agenda, uh, this Marxist agenda and the overall implications for our American culture. Um, I, I did think that it was ironic and I wanted to share with you that the hat that was mentioned that Joy was wearing um, is actually comes from a company that was founded here in, in the Twin Cities by a childhood friend of mine. And uh, I called him last night after watching the show and and I, I kind of we, we sort of talked through this and I explained to him um, how this 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 war of words was being waged and and how his hat ended up in, in this segment. So um, his, his company is actually Hybrid Nation. The in diversity we trust is a subset collection uh, within his overall brand. But he's a, he's a young man that, you know, he's a he's a young entrepreneur. 
um, owns an apparel company, built it up from nothing, traveled all around the world to, to try and build that company into something successful. Uh, and, and he's still grinding away at that. And I think what we're seeing or what's implied by that is a young man who definitely doesn't agree with this sort of authoritarian, tyrannical, ideological war that's being waged by the neoliberal movement is still subject to try and market or try and appeal to the broadest audience possible in a commercial aspect. And and there's huge moral implications to that. Uh, and, and I think he still has to sort that out. But in his defense, the LGBTQ community here at home in the Twin Cities has gone after me a number of times for, for speaking my mind on these issues. And he's backed me every single time in personal relationships, um, you know, from people who were upset with him, who said, you can't associate with Royce anymore. We're canceling him. We're censoring him because he's not sensitive to, to the LGBTQ topic. And, he, and he's actually supported me continuously and defended me publicly. So, you know, this this is an inter- this is the height of the linguistic war that's going on in our society. Um, and, and I think by and large, look, diversity is not a bad thing. Right. You know, the. What what is a problem is when you try and use diversity as an idea to replace the Godhead, right, to to replace faith in God um, and, and also to make it a default that is that is a net positive, uh, you know, in terms of skin color or appearance. I mean, I think those things are not only completely inappropriate and illogical, um, they're being intentionally done and waged as as a linguistical war. Elijah, I I don't know if you can follow that completely, but yesterday I talked about there's a Fox Sports broadcaster, Joy Taylor, woman in the sports lane. She's wearing this hat that says, in diversity, we trust. And, you know, she's obviously replaced diversity, inclusion and equity is their religion. That's replaced God and any kind of religious faith. That's fascinating that uh, Royce's friend is actually uh, or so, some from Minneapolis. World. Yeah, it's a small world, but I, I'm not, I, I, I'm someone that believes in diversity, but only after qualifications have been met, competence has been met, that uh, the ability to do your job uh, has been met, competition, after all those things are satisfied, then I'll be, okay, you want to tip your hat to diversity and all that? Because I, I think, I look at it like any, like what's going on in professional sports. If you open up the competition to everybody and just let the best people, let a meritocracy take place, you're going to get some diversity. Uh, but if you start bending the rules and start creating different standards for different people, you may end up with some diversity, but it won't be able to get the job done. And so that ends up undermining the country and, you know, it ends up creating bitterness and division rather than creating a melting pot that works for everybody. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that with the cackling Kamala 
and with Ilhan Omar. I mean, Royce, if you, if you didn't uh, allegedly marry one of your siblings and you're already doing better in my book uh, than some of the people that you're up against. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think the diversity is a huge confusion overall because diversity actually can be confusion with the Tower of Babel, right? You look at this idea that sometimes diversity is actually bad because if you are trying to you know, build or do a project and you have people who don't understand the project, you won't complete it. If you're trying to have the best basketball team and you bring you know, Leah Thomas, maybe you'll do well on in the basketball court. You bring a, you know, another woman, a swimmer on, you're not going to be the best basketball team. And so as a country, we only want diversity, like you said, for meritocracy so that we can actually find out who's the best, who's the qualified. How can we come together on, on a unified level so that we can actually build this, this great country? But today, man, I mean, to say diversity we trust to me is so anti-theologically correct because in God there's neither Jew nor Greek. You know, he even says that, you know, they're slave nor free, that we're all one in Christ. And so to think that God is not the head, the head of diversity, that God is not the head of all things that he created, that we would replace God with worshiping the creation rather than the creator. No wonder why we're all screwed up. Royce, I'll let you uh, have the last word on this. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've said it before. I think there's a huge God-sized hole that man has tried to fill with uh, ideology and material possessions. Um, and it'll never work. It, it'll never suffice. Um, I think that the idea that diversity is by default a net positive is completely illogical. Um, but but there is also the flip side of the coin where um, there are certain aspects of our society that have become uh, intentionally non-diverse. And, and I don't mean uh, around skin color or identity or sexual orientation. I would say the diversity of thought. And what we're actually seeing is the neoliberal movement and establishment try and cancel or nullify the diversity of thought. So even in their own disposition or, or holding up of diversity, we see that it's selective and it's arbitrary. And I know we don't have time to get into that nuance today. Hopefully we will in the future. But this is the weapon of this is the weapon of words, the, the, the war of weaponizing words. Right. They actually claim diversity is the linchpin of their movement, yet they want no diversity of thought. Royce, I've never asked you this, and this will be my final question. Uh, for me personally, because I was, I think I fit the stereotype of the dumb jock all the way through college. I graduated Ball State with a 2.2 grade point average. I, I majored in football, and probably my real major was socializing, drinking beer, smoking a little weed. And, and I literally think and I, I wonder if this is true for you. Had I been a better athlete, had I had a professional career of any sort, I don't think I would have intellectually evolved as much as I have. And I wonder if that holds true for you. If you had had you know, a, a 10-year MBA career and made hundreds of millions of dollars, do, do you think you would be the same person you are today? I think I've been blessed with the way that my journey unfolded. It was just as God wanted it to be. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to feel and 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 hear God's um, calling in and throughout my journey. And you know, the growth of one's intellect is something that only comes by way of commitment, discipline, and and the rigorousness of thought. There is no other way. Nobody is born uh, an intellectual genius. That's just not how it works. So I would say there's a lot of truth to that, that had I been 
uh, inundated with an 82 game schedule. Right. Uh, you know, nonstop practice and travel and, and the, the, the real rigors that do come with being a professional athlete at the highest level, especially in the NBA. Um, there's a good chance that that my that my uh, worldview may not have developed and matured uh, at, at the rate that it has. But but there's also the chance that if I had doubled down on my commitment to faith and God, that his grace would have allowed me to have that growth with a basketball career. What I think is that the material high, the material obsession that has come to grow right next to professional athletes has blocked them from the vision and the sight of truth and faith in God. Mm. Good stuff, Royce. I got to keep it moving. Thank you. Great job. Uh, let me tell you about uh, our new friends at Preborn. Throughout the whole world, the leading cause of death is abortion. In the United States, murder has become a wholesale business since Roe v. Wade. We've killed over 68 million children. Nearly 25% of pregnant mothers do not choose life. The Ministry of Preborn and Blaze Media are partnering to help rescue 50,000 babies from abortion in 2022. Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. When you let a woman see her baby on an ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she is 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. And when the mother chooses life, Preborn provides maternity and baby clothes, diapers, car seats, counseling, and much more free of charge. Preborn has a passion to save unborn babies from abortion and see women choose Christ. Over the past 15 years, preborn centers have saved 188,000 babies. Will you help rescue babies' lives? To donate, dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash fearless. All right. Delano Squires, X. All right, welcome back. Listen, I used to call this guy the smartest man on the show, and everybody started complaining. Jimmy, Shamika, Royce, <laughs> Dave Shannon, everybody started complaining. And so I try not to call Delano the smartest man on the show anymore, even though he's, no, nah, I almost said it, but I'm not. He's Handsomest? Sharpest? No, nah, I'm the, well, those, those titles go to me, actually. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I'm trying to come up with a new way to say that this dude is smarter than me and, and smarter than virtually everybody else that comes on the show. Uh, Delano Squires, uh, welcome back to the show. And he has another example of why I hold him in such high regard. He's written a column uh, today that, okay, if the left is offended by the word groomers, Delano wants to call them tenderizers. Uh, <laughs> that they're tenderizing uh, young people, and not just young people, but adults, parents, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and you talked about the marination process, uh, you can pound them. Anyway, Delano, explain your column. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was clever. It put a smile on my face while making a profound point. Sure. Uh, so, so, Jason, as you said, a, a lot of the controversy around the whole um, grooming issue has been less about 
the behavior that people are trying to describe and more about the use of the term. And, and we're seeing that obviously on the left, uh, they're saying, oh, Republicans and conservatives talking about grooming or engaged in a moral panic. But even some conservatives, right? I mentioned in the piece, um, Andrew McCarthy and David French, who took conservative um, Senator, Senate Republicans to task for asking now Justice Katanji Brown Jackson about her record of you know, being lenient towards child sex offenders. Um, so a, a lot of it has been about the language, and we talk about this all the time. The left's first fight is for the dictionary, so they want to control the terms of debate. So I said, okay, if you don't like groomer, we can use a term that, that I've been using for a little while, which is you're, you're tenderizing, right? And I, and, I, and I use the imagery of someone cooking meat. Right. You know, we, we love good ranches around here. So if you get your steaks and then they're still a little bit cold, sometimes you put them out the room temp, you let them sit down. But some people will use one of three main methods, pounding. So that's with a, a meat mallet, braising so that it's you know cooking at a relatively low temperature. Think of what you would do in a, a, a pot roast in a, in a crock pot and then marinating which everybody's familiar with, right? You put your meat in, in the juices, the, the mango, the pineapple. It smells good, it's fragrant. But each of those has an analog in culture. So my argument is that pounding is really about using the force of law and public policy to force people into accepting ideas that they otherwise wouldn't. So when the Biden administration threatens the state of Alabama or other states who won't let doctors um, prescribe uh, uh, gender hormones to kids or do mutilations, right, of healthy breast tissue or sex organs, that's pounding. When uh, Jack Phillips from Masterpiece Cake Shop gets taken to court over and over again on, on nonsense, you know, trumped up charges and ends up before the Supreme Court, who decides in his favor, by the way, that's pounding. That's, that's people trying to use the force of law to um, make this man submit to their will and their worldview. So next is braising. And again, I mentioned the crock pot. So the braising is about cooking a meat, a tough cut, low and slow, using moisture. So this, this is really, is not grilling, right? So you don't turn the flame up too hot. You don't pound it. But when I talk about braising, I use, you know, I talked about how we have all been sort of forced over time to accept the notion of, you know, sex being something that's assigned at birth by a doctor a totally foreign concept to anyone before basically the last five years, or the use of personal pronouns in people's bios and, or in their email signatures. These are all changes that have taken um, a fair amount of time to implement, but you know, they, they have been um, solidified through constant you know, um, uh, instruction and, and people saying, well, I'm sorry, you misgendered me. My, my pronouns are they, them. And you say, okay. So, so then you, you sort of consent to it over time. And then the last one is marinating, which I think this is lies at the heart of the, the pushback to Disney and the parental uh, rights bill in, in Florida, which is you know, obviously known as Don't Say Gay. It's the use of, of culture and media and music to um, introduce certain concepts, to, particularly to children, at a very, very young age and doing it in a way that makes it appealing to them. So, um, as I said, typically when you marinate, you, you marinate a cut of meat and something that's fragrant. So you smell the aroma. So you figure it can't be bad because it smells good. Um, in the same way, I mentioned in the piece how Nickelodeon 
uses a show that's geared towards toddlers called Blue's Clues to introduce kids to trans moms and disabled non-binary dads. Um, you know, and, and, and again, the other examples of that um, in the media where you see, um, you know, the, the executive producer from Disney bragging that she was trying to introduce queerness wherever she could in Disney characters. And, and she sort of said tongue in cheek that she had a, a not so secret gay agenda. Uh, but these things are happening every single day. Uh, I also mentioned Desmond is amazing, who's a, at the time an 11 year old drag kid, right? If you can wrap your mind around that concept, who didn't appear on the back pages of, of you know, the Blade or some other LGBT magazine. He was on Good Morning America and he was introduced as, a, as an inspiration to young children. That's marinating in action, right? You use the sort of cultural enzymes to pull the fibers apart. And really when I talk about breaking, breaking the meat down or breaking people down, it's to tear apart that connective tissue being the, the truth of God's word, um, the importance of the nuclear family and parental authority and all things having to do with their children. But again, Jason, the, 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 what I try to make clear in the piece is that this is not just about kids, because I mentioned um, the actor Malik Yoba, which anybody in, in my age group would know from New York Undercover, 90s, you know, mid-90s cop drama that ran on Fox, sort of the, the epitome of urban black masculinity at that time, who goes on The Breakfast Club and allows himself to be re-educated by three LGBTQ um, activists because Malik Yoba made the mistake of calling women naturally born, quote unquote. And they stopped him mid-sentence and they said, oh, 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 oh no, there's, there's nothing natural about it. And they made him repeat the, the lines, the, the sex uh, assigned female at birth and you know, for whom their uh, gender identity conforms with how they feel or whatever nonsense they were talking about. But he said those words dutifully so in real time, you got to see this archetype, again, of black masculinity go from hero cop to transgender puppet and parrot um, in, a, in a matter of one minute. So I just wanted to paint that picture and give people on the right or, or the sane left another term that they could use and, and put in their back pocket. Uh, speaking of tenderizing and grooming, that's when I think of L.A., and that's what I think of. And when I think of Hollywood and just everything they push and what eventually just like pushed me out of L.A., I, I just you have there's a belief system that you have to buy into or you can't work in Hollywood. You can't work in L.A. Was was that your experience as well being a native Southern California? Jason, I was groomed as a kid myself like genuinely and i didn't and i didn't realize that was going on until i got older by home well i'll tell you this i mean i gen like this is it's kind of shocking i don't want to go into too many details but uh like i thought you know when i was like 13 years old or whatnot that there was these adults uh who 
where suddenly like that's how I got into drugs. We're giving me ecstasy and whatnot, and we're like inviting me to clubs, and I was sneaking out of my house, giving me cocaine, different mm. things. I thought I was cool. Uh, I didn't know what was going on fully. They made me watch them have sex, uh, different things like that in this weird house that had like blue lights on the inside. Thought it was a little bit weird, but I was young. And uh, it wasn't until, I'm not gonna say who it is, but uh, a, a close friend of mine ended up being offered by a guy that we hung out with. He would get us as many girls as we wanted, but he would have, we'd have to perform oral sex on uh, the guys and we weren't cool with that. I mean. I mean, I guess it's cool now, but back then you weren't, you weren't trying to be gay or anything in, in junior high or high school. And so there was a genuine like trade-off of like an actual, they're bringing you in. And, you know, I don't want to go into too many details, but I mean, like, I thought that was more like normal because I was like getting access to clubs and getting kind of brought around as a teenager. But I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, that was a sex grooming group. And those people, and, and, and I would ask people, like, as I grew up, I'm like, did you go through that? And you know what, the amount of people that were molested, I, I, I'm gonna tell you, this is so shocking. Um, I led a youth group, and we had an all guys group, and I just was like, I would sort of talk to the guys and see their past. There was more guys in the youth group that had been sexually abused as children in LA than were not abused. I, I, I try to explain this to people about Los Angeles and they always think I'm bluffing or exaggerating. And, and I'm just like, no, that's the price of admission out there. And, and for, you know, I think everybody has this fantasy, oh, I wanna be famous, oh, I wanna be a superstar on TV or in a movie. And, and when you try to say, man, there's a price to pay. And, and that casting couch, is no joke and just they've come to this belief that there's this taking a child and introducing them to sex and all kinds of perverted sex that there's something positive out of it and and so you know I don't want to get us in too much trouble but I always say what I believe I believe a lot of things going on in this society are related to a sex cult. Mm. I, I, I'm just sorry, and they can call me QAnon or Whitlockanon, a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but th there is a sex cult, and, and, and it's been normalized, and experiences like yours happen to kids at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and then they revisit those, that trauma on the next generation of kids. Yeah, and I'm just gonna say, I mean, I didn't go, I didn't end up going through with anything because luckily back then, that's what I was gonna say, I think their number one issue is that obviously the problem is is that it, teenagers didn't wanna be gay or don't wanna do gay stuff. So what's the barrier to the sex cult? Well, let's normalize gay stuff. And if we can normalize gay stuff, we normalize transgender and queer and all these things, all the last, the last uh, you know, horizon is to blur the lines between consent and of course the age of consent. And so that's, that's their last, I mean, cause that's what stopped me and my friends. And so I think they probably seen a pattern. Hey, all these young people, they don't wanna be made fun of for this, so let's normalize it and then let's change the standards and then we can get what we want, it's sick. Delano, I'm gonna give you the last word, but Elijah, we love to say on this show, LGBTQIA and the P is silent. Ophelia is silent. Delano, I'll give you the yeah. final word. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, just hearing Elijah say that was 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 powerful. Um, and I, I think really what we have here, we talk about this all the time, Jason, 
that we are engaged in a cosmic battle for truth. Um, and this is something, particularly for, for Christians, that we're not unfamiliar with. It's, it starts in the book of Genesis. And when, when you know, the serpent approaches Eve, he's, he's been running the same play ever since, right? Did God really say? So trying to introduce doubt um, in, into the, the, the minds of, of the hearer and then trying to um, deny the consequences of, of sin, right? Oh, no, God, God is not going to, you, you won't surely die. And then going on to say that what God said is evil and should not be touched is actually going to be for your good. He said, no, God wants you to, to eat, of this, eat of this fruit. So, um, so much of what we're chasing, again, has played out already throughout time. But if, but I, I, I want people to understand how it works. God gave Adam and Eve, right, the tree of life. They reached for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They ended up getting neither. We're headed down the same path. We think what we're doing is going to lead to an abundant life and that we have um, acquired all different types of knowledge, particularly in the sciences, and we're getting neither because the things that we're pushing are neither scientific. Anybody can go uh, check the clips on what Bill Nye said about sex and gender in the 90s and compared to what he says in the 2000s. So, so the things that we think are uh, our pursuits of knowledge are only leading to death and destruction. And that's why, and we've said this before on the show, we're going to, um, you push forward 10, 15 years, there's gonna be a generation of kids who look back on adults today and say, why didn't you do anything to stop me and stop them? Because those kids are, are not gonna be able to reproduce. They're going to be miserable. Many of them are gonna kill themselves and spend a lifetime on antidepressants. And, and we are allowing, um, a very small but influential group of people to tell us that letting kids do that today is the epitome of love, and I think we should reject it. Thank you, Delano. Reminds me, we'll get Thank into you, this later in the week. I was just reading a story in the Atlantic about uh, how kids are far more depressed than they used to be. And the Atlantic, of course, listed four factors uh, and somehow avoided that the, the decline in religious faith has nothing to do, isn't connected to the depression young people mm. are. And so they always overlook God, but you can't tell me the, the depression that kids are experiencing, the pervasive depression, isn't connected to the fact that our society becomes more and more secular. All right, uh, Jack Posobiec, did I say that right, Posobiec? Posobiec. Come Poso, King Poso. Uh, Pasobic. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to bring in Jack Pasabic, uh, senior editor at Human Events, host over it. Did I screw that up again? Oh, it's King Poso. Call him King Poso. Posobic. No? Well, Posobic? Posobic. Oh, I'm sorry. Jack Posobic. I love Jack. Jack P is what I'm going to call him. Uh, senior editor at Human Events, host over at Turning Point USA. Uh, Jack, I've recruited a friend to help me uh, interview you because 
you know, if you get us in trouble by saying something about Disney being groomers or whatever, I'm going to blame it on Elijah and, and have you <laughs> well, two Elijah go after him and far, not me. Well, Elijah worse about Disney than you or I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> so what, did, what happened? Air. He says on air is bad. Oof, you should hear him off the mic. <laughs> so what what did you say so bad about Disney and did why did Twitter suspend you and are you off suspension now? So we're off suspension now, temporarily locked out and it was a situation where we had a t-shirt up that was through this t-shirt company that does, you know, parody shirts and stuff. So they put up the logo, you know, the famous Disney logo of the Magic Kingdom and then they wrote boycott groomers on that i wake up and i say hey this is a you know funny t-shirt post it up gets a lot of retweets you know people are talking about it um goes a couple of days and it sits up there nobody has any problem with it then palm sunday sunday morning you know i wake up uh we're about to you know get the kids ready for church and i see oh you've been locked out of twitter for 12 hours because of hateful content that may have been harassing towards, and you know the whole list, sexual orientation, gender identity. And I'm looking at it saying, I didn't know that groomers is a, is a gender identity now. That's a new one to me. Mm. So we've been having a discussion on this show since Friday. Uh, I circled back to it on Monday and even today's show. Like this Disney sexual thing isn't a joke in my view. I, I think they are feminizing uh, our culture. I think they are grooming young kids. Uh, I think they are trying to supplant parents as the primary guardians, uh, groomers of young people's identity. I, I think Disney's right at the heart of that. Do you agree? Well, I will agree on on this point because one thing that we did over at Human Events just just a week before the suspension that I think had us in Disney's crosshairs was that we leaked the internal messages from the cast member forums at Disney World. Now, cast member, that's what they call their employees. So we leaked the internal forums. And what were these people saying on there, the actual employees of Disney? They were saying two things. Number one, that they didn't think that the company should be involved in politics because they thought that that's something where, you know, why turn away half your audience? And then number two, a lot of them, even some people who said that they were themselves gay, actually supported DeSantis's bill and said, why should a company or a teacher, someone who's not a member of the family, be involved in any of these discussions with kids at that age? That's something that should be in the realm and the purview of the parents themselves. And so many other people just saying things like, look, you know, we're just trying to work at the park. We want to have a nice amusement park for kids to come and have a good time with mom and dad and provide that, you know, world class experience for them, you know, take some pictures with the fireworks and that kind of thing. Not interested in, you know, telling uh, telling Timmy that he's going to be a Jenny now and all this kind of stuff that's going on. And so when I look at that and I remember that one of Elon Musk's statements 
about his criticisms of Twitter as a platform was that Twitter increasingly was doing the bidding of their largest corporate advertisers. Well, who's one of the largest corporate advertisers in media in the entire world? It's none other, of course, than Disney. So when you add all this up, it really seems like Disney is using their corporate and financial heft to come down on the side, basically, of the people who want to support this type of behavior in schools. And to go to your next point that you were actually making, um, number one, we've seen numerous Disney employees at these um, at these parks and many other times be arrested for them themselves dealing with child pornography or child molestation. We've also seen, and this is where DeSantis was targeting it, so many teachers across the country, public schools and private schools, a complete nationwide epidemic. Every single day, you could just go on to, onto the Twitter machine, go into the search bar and type it in, uh, teacher arrested, and you can find it state after state after state where this is going on, you know, and it's kind of like when they asked, um, you know, the bank robber Willie Sutton back in the day said, why do you rob banks? He said, that's where the money is. So why are so many pedophiles ending up in teaching positions? There you go. So I read this somewhere this week, and I, I don't know if I read it from a story or if it was someone's tweet. And, and maybe it's even inappropriate for me to ask this question, but I'm gonna ask it, it's a fearless show. Do, do we think there's a higher percentage of gay employees within Disney than perhaps other companies? I, I thought I read somewhere where someone said 40% of Disney employees identify as gay or LGBT. And I'm, I'm not sure of it because like, how would you know that? Is that on some question? If you, li- if you live there, I mean, this is, might, might be anecdotal, but like I can tell you, almost every queer or gay person I knew ended up working at Disney personally in the area. And I do know they had programs. Um, I was part of this thing called Cata Castle in high school, which was not a queer program, but there was a lot of queer people in it. It was an uh, associated student body program. And I do know that Disney would outreach for internships and things specifically looking for gay students. They'd have gay day uh, where they would have the park just celebrate before it was even socially acceptable. And they would really promote uh, employees to wear rainbow pins, et cetera. This was you know, many, many years ago, over a decade ago. So they've done intentional outreach. And perhaps I would just say that you know, um, this lack of maturity, this infantile uh, perspective, when you go there, a lot of these people don't want to grow up. They don't want to face reality. They don't want to be the people who God made them to be. And they don't want to uh, understand that we are sinners and we are fallen. And so, you know, live in a magical kingdom and uh, live a make-believe life. That's an interesting point because Disney World is about not growing up and rediscovering your childhood. Or I, I can, my, I can, it's Going to Disney World as like a six or seven-year-old is one of the greatest experiences of my life. Uh, and I still remember it. it's the only time I've been to Disney World. Uh, but, but that's an interesting that the culture of Disney is a youthful culture, well, is a culture about escaping reality. Go ahead, Jack. Did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, it did. Because so when I was out actually in Orange County um, doing a, a speaking engagement there in 2019 that we had had our first son born and we said, oh, look, we're right here. We're right down from Disneyland. Uh, it's about three years ago. And we said, let's, you know, let's go. Let's just take him for the day. We kind of had a, you know, an empty um, hole in our schedule. We said, let's take him over to Disney for the day. And, and we took him and he had a great time. But I noticed that there were a lot of people at the park while we were there who 
um, you know, they weren't there with their kids. They weren't there with um, with families or anything like that. And it had just become this new thing to go to. And I also noticed, by the way, the Star Wars land, I guess they call it Galaxy's Edge exhibit over at Disney. That seemed to attract a different type of element rather than the rest of the park. The rest of the park is very family friendly. This attracted people, you know, all wearing black, all talking about what's the latest lightsaber they want to get, um, you know, and just a little bit didn't fit in with the rest of the park. And you would see them when they were going around to other areas of the park, you know, these sort of like very, you know, uh, Elijah sure knows about, um, you know, your gamma males and omega males uh, on that that whole hierarchy. And these guys just totally did not fit in with the rest of the park. And I was looking at it saying, man, what exactly is the Star Wars universe at this point appealing to? And Disney, of course, is a big part of taking that turn in Star Wars. And so it's actually been something where I said, look, you know what, I'm done with it. So we've actually decided at this point as a family that we're going to raise our kids completely Star Wars free, um, letting them watch the old Disney movies and stuff like that, but no Star Wars whatsoever. Hmm. Elijah mentioned that he was homeschooled. Jack, you're a parent. Do you plan on homeschooling your kids? It's either going to be homeschooling or, you know, we're looking into some of these independent schools that have a classical education. Uh, we're Catholic. And so there's some academies that now do it's sort of a hybrid independent Catholic education, but combined with a classic education. So, you know, learning Greek and Latin, learning to say they already pray in Latin. Um, but being able to do that at a young age and, of course, having a great books compendium. So I think people really are trying to break the mold when it comes to education, and we're definitely not sending them to, uh, to public school. That's, that's for sure. Look, I'm much older than both you guys. I'm 54. I'm telling you, the, other than we had a high school basketball coach uh, that was very successful, why, Mrs. Parrish is her name, she was gay. Uh, but that's the only teacher I can think of that I knew their sexuality. I don't think we ever, I know I never talked with her about it or, uh, you know, kids may have made little passing comments, but it wasn't a focus of attention. And, and I never really thought about the sexuality other than Mrs. Schwinn, because she was our <laughs> teacher. She was really hot. Uh oh. <laughs> we all had that one. You didn't go through puberty yet sometimes. You were young, you're like, I want to like this teacher. She's hot for Mrs. Schwinn. But, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I'm just wondering, is there something about the teaching profession now that is attracting more LGBT than anything else? It has something or when you guys were in school, were there more LGBT teachers than perhaps my day? Well, I just want to say this is totally an unproven theory of mine, but it's something I've, I've observed is, you know, on one hand, Posobiec's totally right, which he is often very much right about, you know, go where the money's at. And if you're a pedophile, you're going to go where your prize is. And unfortunately, that is our schools. And it's, it's a very degraded profession now. So it's not, not so hard to get there. But on top of that, you know, I've seen this connected to the Disney thing with teachers is that 
Disney knows, and you talk to people, Disney adults, I, I feel like have had a lot of trauma as a kid, probably sexual trauma or absent parents, because it, it's really sad in a culture of what you grow up remembering from all of your childhood and being raised is Disney movies, and there's a lot of people in our country that are like this. The reason why you might do that as a young kid is you've got nothing else to remember. You don't have your family meals, you don't have a, a good childhood, and so you hold on to something that, that at least will cause you to escape, almost like someone would cope with alcohol when they're older, or drugs, or sex, you're gonna cope with what you have access to. And obviously parents will raise their kids on that entertainment. And so sometimes, you know, with everything being bad and that being the only good thing, you allow yourself to revisit that by holding on to the one good thing that you know into your adulthood, which is a Disney adult. And I think with kids too, with teachers, is I think is a similar thing is that when they were younger, they were abused, they were misunderstood, and they were probably victims of a lot of abuse, absent parenting, et cetera, broken, broken system. And they want to come in and say, you know what, I felt odd one out. But let's, I'm gonna let you know, not only this is normal, but let's normalize this as a coping mechanism when they get older for the trauma that they've experienced and the abuse they've been at the hand of. Unfortunately, sometimes the victims become the attackers and the aggressors if, if, if you don't deal with it through God, if you don't, if you don't try to, to understand, bring reconciliation, redemption. And what we're seeing is rather than people saying, hey, I grew up traumatically and I have problems because of that and I want people to, to feel better, to, to find healing because we remove God and there's no healing, they say, well, let's just normalize the trauma by passing it down intentionally so that it's no longer trauma, but it's the status quo. And that's the heartbreaking part about it. That's a powerful comment. Jack, I'm gonna give you the final say on this and I'm gonna let you go, but I wanna add this before uh, I, I let you go. I was just, as Elijah was talking, I was thinking about what's happened in the last 30 years to the American family and how there's less nuclear families and there's more two working parent families. And so there's less supervision of kids. Kids are more vulnerable inside their schools than in, ever, than in any time in the history of America. There's not two involved parents, one that's on the PTA or making sure they're at all the parent teacher. There's basically unsupervised kids. There's kids being raised by grandparents or single parents or parents that are just too distracted. And so, yeah, I could see how schools are more vulnerable now because kids are more vulnerable now. But Jack, I'll give you the final say and thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, Jason. And Elijah, you're exactly right. You know, they say hurt people hurt people. And I think, you know, if we tie everything together, it's the complete loss of moral standards in our country. So we don't have moral standards for teachers. That used to be you had to have the highest morality because you were one of the most respected people in the community was a teacher and teachers dressed modestly. Teachers had authority. Teachers even had authority over parents. And you'd say, go watch like an old, you know, uh, go watch Christmas story. You know, you can see that with a teacher. She has authority there. Uh, we don't have those moral standards anymore. And it's because we took away the sole source of morality in this country. And that was God. That was the Bible. That was the central focus, the same reason that our government system doesn't work anymore and all these other systems, because if you take away God, you end up having this, uh, you know, choose your own morality and that someone can say up there when they're running or not running, but they're nominated for, you know, Supreme Court justice and say, well, you know, I think I think the pedophile is actually the victim because he just clicked the link and now he's supposed to lose 50 years of his life. Um, no, I think the victims are the people that are victimized and re-victimized 
every time. But of course, because we don't have traditional morality anymore, we have this inverted morality of an oppressor class versus an oppressed class, which is totally made up by people like Karl Marx and the critical race theorists and critical theorists in general. And that's why we have this now choose your own morality. And it's exactly what Elijah said. It's I'm I'm messed up. I've got trauma. So I'm going to pass that trauma on and I'm going to declare this to be the status quo now. And we're going to destroy. And this is why, by the way, you hear people saying like, um, oh, we need to take down Western civilization to destroy fat phobia because fat phobia is created by Western institutions. Right. It's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. But they've created um, a lot of this comes from Foucault, by the way. Um, they've created this whole system by thinking that it's institutions that generate reality, not that reality is itself generative and create and the creation of God. The fat phobia thing strikes me because I, I don't know if you guys saw this and thank you, Jack. Uh, there was a picture of Lizzo oh. on a private plane. Oh, I saw that one. Who couldn't? <laughs> They say we see hippopotamus in nature. You better run. I booked it. Elijah, thank you so much uh, for coming by. I'm going to let you go. You're working overtime. Uh, we're going to bring Steve Kim on next. But, man, I really appreciate it. You said so many powerful and smart things. Uh, we got to have you back via Skype. You don't have to always be here in Nashville. But I just I just love smart people. And, and you know, the thing I've loved so far about this show is, like, Everybody just naturally on this show, and I know you guys do it on your own platforms as well, but, but eventually everything reverts back to a biblical worldview. And, and, you know, that discussion is not happening enough in America that because, you know, the Bible and the, that was our foundation of truth that we built this country on. And they're just taking it away. And I see so many media outlets afraid to mention Jesus, afraid to mention God, afraid to mention the morality that comes from religious faith and Christianity. And uh, man, you just fit right in. You're a fearless soldier. Uh, keep on out there fighting for us. You know, thank uh, you. I just want to say one thing, though, to those that are struggling. We need to stop being afraid to talk about God and the truth just because we are undisciplined and having a difficult time following what he says. We don't stop talking about gravity, even if, even if we you know, are, are willing to take the risk. We always calculate the risks. And I'm gonna say this as, as a man who struggles like every other man and even the woman who are watching, maybe you're with a man and you struggle yourself. I have been walking a lot further from the kingdom of God the last couple years than I should be. And a lot of times we feel ashamed because of the choices we're making. Even if it's not a overt sin, it's just the lack of dedication to God. So we feel far away from the kingdom and we say, who am I to even speak about it? But it's about time that we start becoming bold to say what the truth is because it sets us free and those who are free are free indeed. And I'm working hard. It's, it is a discipline through the power of the Holy Spirit to try to gain some of those spiritual disciplines to match up with the faith. It's not just through works, but the works of the evidence of the faith to try to come back to the kingdom of God. And so be fearless to all the, to anyone watching this and realize that God is not ashamed of you and don't be ashamed of God and realize that there is reconciliation, there is forgiveness, and that every day is a new day. It is the gift of God. He does not hold yesterday against you and he does not expect you to know tomorrow because you don't, but he gives you this gift. And today is the perfect day to restart fresh with Jesus Christ, to confess your sins and to do your best to stay disciplined and only today because that's all that you've got. You've hammered the main point of just everything that I believe in terms of, the, I, I talk constantly about, you know why I wear my Christianity on my sleeve now? Because I'm a sinner. 
And because like confessing, being a Christian, put some discipline and some restraint around me. I can't go into a strip club because I've told everybody I'm a Christian and I'll look like a fool. So I don't go to strip clubs anymore. And I used to love strip clubs. And so it's the, the, the left and the enemies try to use our sin to silence us. And by being outspoken about our Christianity is the only way to combat our sins. And so th this silence that they're forcing on you is forcing you to be more of a sinner. And so even if someone, and you know, I've struggled with my weight and gluttony and I talk about it openly, but even if someone saw me at a McDonald's drive through uh, again, that doesn't erase the truth what I've spoken about gluttony or about anything. It, 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 it actually just, well, Jason got weak and went to McDonald's. And I haven't been to McDonald's since August 17th. So I've put out fast food for quite a long stretch. Good for you, man. Yeah. But it's because I talk about it and wear it on my sleeves. Thank you so much, man. You're awesome. Thank you for the uh, All right, stick around. The Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Los Angeles, the city of sin. We've been denigrating Los Angeles this entire show. Uh, let's go out to the one sane person we know. Oh, there's actually two. Mario Lopez, I would consider him sane. Uh, Steve Kim. Who works with Mario Lopez? Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, you've heard me talking about Disney uh, the last two days. Uh, yesterday, I talked for an hour and twenty minutes straight. <sighs> I was tired after that. Uh, but anyway, uh, what were what are your thoughts on my evisceration of Disney and ESPN? and th their feminization of American culture. Well, Jason, let's go back to Friday. And unfortunately, I had some technical issues. I wanted to get into this. Um, in terms of Disney, with that female CEO, with that leaked video, where she basically said, well, I have three or two transgender kids and one that's non-binary, this, this, and that. And I want to make sure that they're OK going into the future. That was a very, very strong not so veiled message to everyone at that company you better get on board here this is what i believe this is what i think and you're not going to disagree and it reminds me of that situation jason and we've all been there where your supervisor or your manager comes into the office and they said hey guys uh my daughter is selling girl scout cookies and immediately you're like okay 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 <laughs> i want five thin mints in fact you know what give me 10 thin mints and, and you know what give me some samoas because you know, there's a pressure to get aboard. And, and I'm like, you know what? If you even have any Chips Ahoy, I'll take those too. So in other words, that was her way of saying, this is the party line and you are going to step to it in lockstep. You're not going to disagree. You are not allowed to have another viewpoint. So think about this. If you are a high paid employee or a guy that's making minimum wage, if you want to keep that job, she's telling you, uh, you're going to believe this bottom line. 
Well, you're actually hammering one of my main points, I think, yesterday in terms of I'm old enough, and Steve, you're old enough to remember the time when your political thoughts, your thoughts on sexuality, all of that was irrelevant in the workplace. No one cared, yeah. no one asked you, and, and now we've moved into this social media world where everybody posts all their most intimate personal thoughts over social media and now you're evaluated yeah. on that. And there are actual jobs you cannot have and what you're basically arguing is that executive at Disney is basically saying, you can't work here unless you agree with yeah. me on these transgender issues, LGBT issues, whatever, and it's like, I, that's an unhealthy work environment where in order to have a job, you must agree with the values of the corporation and, and the corporate leaders. And, and so th there's like this thought litmus test that you have to pass to maintain a job in corporate America. And certainly if you wanna rise in leadership, you better get on board with all of these thoughts regardless of what your religion or your upbringing or what your thoughts are on your own accord, you have to get on board. And that's why I say yeah. about the, the people leading your human resources department are the actual gatekeepers and the actual most important people uh, at the corporation. They control the culture and they install and impose the culture. And it's just really unhealthy and really unfair. Yeah, it's also it's incredibly Orwellian. They want a diversity of ethnicity and race. There's no doubt about that. They want something that's very cosmetic, but at the core of it, they do not want a diversity of philosophy or thought. That, that, that much is very, very simple. And I experienced it myself at the very end of my last years in the summer of George Floyd. And, and the bottom line is, you're gonna have to support BLM you were going to have to treat George Floyd as a hero. The NBA players that were boycotting were absolute heroes and social justice warriors that you had to praise. You could not even question how much impact were they really making with the hashtag and boycotting games inside the bubble. I experienced that up close and personal. Jason, uh, I thought last night <laughs> you eviscerated a couple of people but I wanted to, uh, the, the Chase Claypool thing, I think you hit on something that I've been talking about for the last five, six years on social media. It's what I call competitive mourning. A person of note dies, and it's just not <laughs> enough to say, man, I really like this guy, I was a fan of his, and I'm sorry for to his family and his loved ones, rest in peace. Then it becomes, well, this guy was like my best friend, even though I never knew him. Then another guy, well, this guy was like my brother. Well, I'm going to worship this guy. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have a question for all these people, and I am not questioning the sincerity of Chase Claypool's emotions. However, Jay, can we be honest about this? And I don't know his family situation, but do people react like that and put up posts on Instagram or social media or TikTok when a mother or father or a grandfather or a grandmother die? They don't. Most, most, of, most of the times when that happens, I always hear something like, such and such was a great impact on me growing up. They raised me to be the person that I am, and I'm going to miss them. I love them. But they never actually put up all that other stuff. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just different because I, I just don't believe celebrities should be worshipped. 
The only death that had a real impact on me since my father passed away in 2016 actually happened March 13th, 2021. It was the sudden and unexpected passing of my favorite prize fighter growing up, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. Passed away unexpectedly. It was a shock and it affected me. And I wrote a lot of posts kind of paying tribute to him as a fighter. But it never dawned on me that, you know what, I, I need to show some emotion here and post it all over social media. That, that would never happen. I, I, the point you're making about Claypool is a thousand percent accurate in terms of, look, maybe he and Dwayne Haskins over the past year became BFF. And, and there's a chance that, that that is true. But I'm sure over the course of Chase's 23, 24, 25 years of life, he's had better friends than Dwayne Haskins. Has he, and, and, and maybe he's had people closer to him, coaches, people that helped him along the way that have passed away. Did he post videos of himself crying about it? Again, I, I think this was the ultimate clout chasing. Uh, I, I think that he was sad that Dwayne Haskins, a friend of his, had passed away tragically. I get it. But he wanted retweets and likes and wanted to build yeah. his Twitter and social media following uh, more than he really legitimately wanted to honor uh, Dwayne Haskins. And, and that's, I love your thought about competitive mourning and how uh, the next thing you know, uh, everybody, every NBA player uh, was BFF with Kobe Bryant. <laughs> And, and th that's a joke. Kobe didn't get along with a lot of people. <laughs> Kobe, Kobe was very aloof. It, again, it would be like if, if you know, it, it's like Michael Jordan. He kept a, a tight little small circle. And, and everybody can't run around and pretend like they were Michael Jordan's best friend the way marginal. I mean, Matt Barnes, you know, nice NBA career, averaged nine points a game or whatever. But you'd think he and Kobe... Uh, we're having cocktails and dinner five nights a week or this whole little comp I was close to Kobe and Kobe this and uh, worshiping Kobe and uh, it's and look I I'm to the Kobe death I'm just a, it was it was tragic the guy yes. was trying to take his daughter to a basketball game it comes from out of nowhere I the day that it happened I was sad and and tearful on on television Someone young dying in service of their child, it's a sad thing, I get it. But this whole deal, like you can't talk about Kobe in full or somehow you're yeah. denigrating him or desecrating yeah. his memory. It's a joke to me and it's all this competitive mourning because there's clout in it, there's followers in it. There's, and and there's, there's just points in terms of men are being baited into just pour your emotions out. That's what we want to see. That's what will make America better. And I, I mean, the, the Claypool said, here's a moment of vulnerability, as if he were blessing us with uh, the remains of Jesus Christ. I, I, the whole thing, I love your competitive morning. And, and Jason. And, and go ahead. You got, 
Go, it, I, I make, also eviscerated Joy Taylor. And, yeah, uh, I want to get into that. <laughs> I, I want to get into that. You got me thinking about this. She wore that hat. Uh, it's the first time everyone looked right above her neck, right? Okay, so the hat was interesting. <laughs> and I wanted to make this point. I hate forced artificial diversity. I liked earned diversity. And as an Asian, I wasn't a good enough student to be affected by it. Did you know what they used to call UCLA out here in L.A.? They used to call it the University of no. Caucasians Lost Among Asians because all of the students were all the Asians. They all had like their 4.8s, you know, 1590 SATs, and they barely make it. So I'm just thinking, all right, I, I get it. You want to have some diversity. You don't want this to look like the University of Beijing. But let me just tell you one thing. I'm actually going out to Miami uh, this weekend to watch the Miami spring game. I'm going to be watching our team led by Mario Cristobal doing a great job. And I'm going to say one thing. If I ever see the University of Miami with two Asian cornerbacks, I would be like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want that diversity. Let me, I want to make this as plain as possible because we are fearless here. I want to see the next Ryan McNeil. I want to see the next Philip Buchanan in the Antrell role. I don't need to see my cousin. If I see any Han, Lees, or Choi's out there covering, I'm going to be like, this is why diversity doesn't work. And in fact, the only Asians I ever want to see on a Miami football team better be the kicker, maybe the punter, or the guys there to lift the GPA, the team GPA. We know our roles. But generally, I want, this is what you want at Ball State, the best 22 guys. So when she says diversity is great and we trust it, I don't trust it at all. Not the way it's being implemented currently. There's nothing to trust. Uh, anything else that you needed to cover? Yeah, one last thing about the NBA. I love what you said about guys playing 82 games. This is a cultural thing, yeah. though, and there's three people I blame. Silver, Popovich, and LeBron. I remember growing up, the 80s Lakers, late 80s, they're making a championship run. They had a last game, the 82nd game in Portland. So Pat Riley rests all the starters. You know what the reaction was of, of uh, David Stern? Of a meaningless game. He fined the Lakers and says, we're not doing that. And I love the fact that John Stockton told you about a month ago, my job is to play basketball. I signed up for this. It's a game I love. It's a duty to play 82 games. And if you ever look at the 80s NBA championship highlight films, I've watched all of them. It's amazing back then that when they used to travel from Boston to L.A., these guys used to fly in commercial, not even all first class. And yet you're talking about, oh, load management. Get out, you guys. You are not in a coal mine. You're not working in a factory. You get to play a game for millions of dollars, okay? I, this is the smallest violin in the world. I don't feel a single amount of sympathy for them, and the NBA has a problem. If the guys and the league do not care about the 82-game regular season, neither will we. Thank you, Steve. All right, I'm gonna get to my cleanup hitter. Shamika Michelle. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first 
and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. Disney is feminizing America and American culture. And you can't feminize America, American culture, without feminizing the sports world. And, and, and making, again, everything about feelings and about how, quite frankly, uh, women, it's, it's, a, it's a female worldview. It's a, it's a female-driven society. And Disney is the leader in imposing, in, in undermining masculinity and a male-driven worldview and imposing a female, emasculate, emasculated American culture. All right, welcome back. That was me yesterday. And I believe we played that clip because that's what Shamika wants to react to. That's what stuck out to her. Uh, Shamika Michelle, uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, your thoughts, or what, what, what did you take from my Disney conversation? First of all, let me say the entire conversation was just one big blaze. I enjoyed it. But that actually stuck out to me when you talked about how we are feminizing the culture and you talked about undermining masculinity, which means to undermine means to erode the base or foundation. And it just made me start to think about how the lines have been so blurred between masculinity and femininity and traditional roles and traditional values. And I, I do believe that Disney has done this on purpose. Of course, they've always sold us a dream. Their whole motto, their song, when you wish upon a star makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires can come to you. And so now they are pushing that these kids can actually be anything they want to be, which includes a different gender. And they talked about how last year they started saying magic has no gender. So I do believe that Disney's push has been intentional. But also you talked about how they had to come through sports. And I think it was right on time when Cam Newton came out with his video. And while I agree with what he was, was saying, my initial reaction was just, 
you know, because it wasn't the message, but the messenger brought me right back to what you were saying about how we have feminized culture and they went through sports and now they are undermining masculinity because I just felt like what a crazy person to be saying this because Cam actually has said out of his own mouth that he is a masculine man. I don't think we look at any of the pictures of him in his clothing and think, ooh, masculinity. This is the epitome of a manly man. Cam has said out of his own mouth that he loves everything Russell Westbrook does from his fashion to his passion for the game. Cam has said out of his own mouth that he likes to be chased by women. This brought me back to the Bible. Being chased is is a feminine attribute. Women should be chased. The scripture says that so shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. A lot of the of the uh, translations have put the word join in there, but cleave is actually the Hebrew word means to chase, means to pursue closely, means to uh, snatch captivate by pursuing. So that's a feminine attribute. And I just think that we have been so feminized, as you said, that we don't even know our roles. We don't even know as women when we are being masculine and men don't know when they're being feminine. And he talked about how women need to cook and know when to shut up. I agree with that, but I just think it goes so much deeper because we don't even understand our masculine and feminine frames anymore. And it's been happening for a very long time, so much so that we put those attributes as, oh, if you cook, you're feminine. And that's not necessarily true. If you provide, you're masculine. That's not necessarily true. We are such a feminized culture that we don't even know anymore, Jason. We we are just all confused. The waters are muddied. I, I want to add a little context to your Cam Newton comments for people that may not be aware, but Cam on a podcast on Sunday, I believe, on the Million Dollars Worth of Game podcast. He was talking about his family, his upbringing, his parents' long marriage, 37, 38 years old, saying that his dad uh, represented the epitome of manhood for him, had the perfect role model. Uh, And then he went on to talk about women and and what he likes in women and his philosophy on women. And he said, quote, and I'm going to include the profanity uh, just to get him in context. It's a lot of women who are bad bitches. And I say bitches in a way not to degrade a woman, but just to go off the aesthetic of what they deem as a boss chick. A woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to man's needs. I think a lot of times when you get the aesthetic of like, I'm a boss bitch, I'm a this, I'm a that, no baby, but you, can't, but you can't cook. You don't know when to be quiet. You don't know how to allow a man to lead. <sighs> My problem with it, all of it, is Cam's lack of self-awareness. He wants a woman to allow him to lead. And my thing is, hey man, how can you be a leader when you 
fathered a child for a woman with four different children who you refused to marry. You broke up, you ended that relationship because you got an Instagram model pregnant and had a fifth child. So you've undermined your ability to be a leader and he needs to have enough self-awareness to understand that. When you have five illegitimate kids, it's gonna be real hard for a woman to say, I'm gonna jump behind and follow this man. He, he had four kids with Kim Proctor and wouldn't marry her. What would make me think this man would marry me? And so Cam Newton has always suffered from a lack of self-awareness and a lack of being able to evaluate himself and improve himself and to look, any problem to look first in the mirror. And so he's talking about women as if they're the problem when he may need to look in the mirror and say, his lack of obedience to God is what undermines his ability to be a leader of women. There's a cycle, and again, I'm saying this because Cam was raised in a church, espouses Christian values, allegedly. His father was a deacon and a minister in a church. He says his parents represent Christianity for him. He hasn't followed the blueprint of his own father, let alone God. How can he expect a woman to hop on board and follow his lead? He's not exhibiting the qualities of a leader. Well, according to Cam, because he has money and because he is Cam Newton, he can actually get away with some of these things and women will still want him, even though he has all of these illegitimate children and all of this, as he calls it, baggage. So he doesn't even really seem to hold to those principles and values that he desires himself. If you have all of these godly principles and desires, we need to see you as a man exhibit those like we need to see that. But he feels like he's somehow above that and that he doesn't have to be held to those standards. Well, and the same problems impact him on the field in terms of that money deludes him, just like talent deluded him. And there's all these little things about playing a quarterback that he didn't have to do because he had all this talent. That's the same thing that money has done to him. He doesn't have to do all these little things. And again, it sounds like I'm just beating up on Cam, but I've, I've been through this mentality. Money has made a fool out of me and made me think I could cut corners. Can't be done. Not if you want to be a leader, not if you want a woman to follow you and, and want, wants her to cater to your needs. Are you catering to what she needs? Monogamy, matrimony. <laughs> she, those are things she wants. Are you willing to cater to those things? She wants you to be the leader of her spiritual salvation. Are you capable of doing that with five illegitimate kids? Uh, tomorrow, I mean tomorrow, Shamika, I've run out of time. That's tomorrow plan telling me that I gotta go. Uh, we're gonna pick, I, I, we may do some more on Cam tomorrow. I may have you back and, and me, you and Uncle Jimmy will talk about Cam tomorrow. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of
of freedom. These words are our religion, our regrets, and our decisions. We don't want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination. Raising up your hands for freedom. Raise up your hands for 